This is Family Office Intel at Denton's, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actual ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the modern family office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. Today's a conversation with April Rudin. April is a widely acknowledged and top marketing strategist for the financial services sector. Uh, she's distinguished by her ability to forecast and, and look at critical trends as they're coming across both in traditional media and digital media. Uh, and her firm leads marketing campaigns for some of the largest uh, wealth management firms, fintechs and family offices. And part of what she does is also help these families and businesses work on client acquisition. So April, uh, let's get started. Just give us a little background on how you got into the space. Sure. So thanks for having me on today, Ed. I appreciate it. And of course, two fellow Michiganders, here we go. So um, I started my business uh, 14 years ago, uh, and I noticed that there was a trend in um, uh, the wealth transfer, uh, that these three trends were actually intersecting. The wealth transfer, the demand, and changing appetite from millennials. I have two millennial kids of my own. And of course, the rise of tech, fintech, martech, wealth tech, and so on, and realized that there was going to be an opportunity that many of the brands in high net worth, wealth management, private banking, and so on, were pretty old and stale, and um, that it would be difficult for them to acquire new clients. And there's a drop-off in new clients as, you know, the numbers really vary in terms of um, what people look at, but I've heard upwards of you know, 85% to 90% of new clients leave their financial advisors um, when they inherit wealth. 75% of widows will change advisors within the first year of their husband's demise. And I realized it was a real opportunity for brands to sort of, I called it then, millennialize themselves and to appeal cross-generation rather than just the sort of stilted old formal um, marketing that people, or lack thereof, that people might associate with family offices. So no more mahogany tables, leather chairs. And, what about chess um, pieces and the marketing collateral? Pieces. Yeah, chess pieces, the lighthouse, right? We're, we're going to show people the way and so on. And I actually went to a friend of mine who was running a trust company at the time, and I told him my idea, and he told me, April, you're a really nice girl, but you're too old to be an entrepreneur. Banks will never hire outside firms. High net worth people will never be on the internet, and social media is a fad. So, of course, the minute I heard all of that, I thought, well, I really must be onto something. Downloaded Yahoo Tools and created my own website. And the rest is sort of history. Well, let's start our discussion today around multifamily offices and sort of the RIA space. You know, you're seeing a, uh, certainly a tremendous amount of activity there. People leaving uh, one type of firm, starting their own RIA and multifamily office. People are trying to brand themselves into the space. If you're speaking to a client or to people in this space, where do you start? So that's a great question. So um, most firms and most individuals, and we should think of this really in both uh, lanes, you know, in terms of branding, there is a personal brand that people bring. And then there's also the corporate brand. So, you know, just thinking about you, for example, there's everything that 
Ed Marshall knows, and then there's the Denton Big Brand, and those should be working together. So it's really important for people to identify what their unique and differentiated and distinctive value prop is. In other words, what is it that they do or think um, that's unique to them that no one else can do? And of course, as we know, it's not around investment advice. Um, in your case, it's you know perhaps not around legal, but it's about how you do it your network, the Denton's brand, and everything that you can bring to the marketplace. So the best place to start is really by taking um, uh, stock of where you are and what are your, your unique value props? What are some of the passions that you bring? These can also be conversation starters and ways to differentiate yourself in terms of passions, philanthropies, um, background, all of these things become important for and, and investors and then um, others, you know, centers of influence to really connect with you. I think that's helpful, April. I think the the one piece is that if you look at a lot of mission statements and collateral and how people put themselves out there, I don't think there's a firm out there that says that they don't have a unique value proposition or that they don't provide comprehensive advice. So within that framework, how do you work with clients and, and how do you recommend that RIAs and multifamily offices differentiate and, and try to play off of some of the strengths that you talked about? So that's a great question. I mean, just as, you know, most um, financial advisors, wealth managers would um, advise their clients not to um, be do-it-yourself investors, I would also advise uh, RIAs and family offices not to be do-it-themselves um, marketers. So we have a process that we go through, a discovery process that helps us to uncover and isolate these things that we think will be differentiated and distinctive to the market and then put those forth in terms of messaging and imagery um, for websites and for collateral, even for the names of these RIAs, you'll, you know, many times they're totally undifferentiated. They're so-and-so Brook or so-and-so Capital or whatever, you know, nothing that really is evocative or provocative or anything that really lets you in. Um, you also mentioned the mission statement. I mean, the mission statement is, you know, always formal and never usually helpful to anyone except inside a firm. So I think it's important to think about um, your internal audience. Of course, you want to get buy-in from others in your firm. But most importantly, the reason that people go through this exercise, and I'm just underlining this, is because you're appealing to an external audience. And I think many times during this exercise, people forget about that. They become very insular, thinking about themselves, inward facing what they think might resonate instead of taking a more client-centric view to their messaging and their communication. So maybe taking it from the client or customer perspective, right? So they've they've worked with a, a professional and they've come up with some ideas. They've got a, a message. It sounds good. It's interesting. There is a lot of noise. I'd almost go to a point of cacophony in terms of who has the best solution, who has the best mousetrap to, to help a, a business owner, a family office, or or a private client. How have you seen, without, obviously without naming names, but how have you seen multifamily offices and RAAs bridge that gap between client and collateral? Uh, because sometimes it sounds like it's, you know, a field of dreams approach um, versus right. the, the, the reality of 
convincing somebody that you you do have a way that can help them with whatever situation they're trying to go through. So another great question. I mean, uh, the field of dreams approach, you know, all of these things really don't resonate anymore and being very broad stroke. So I think it's important for firms to also realize what is their sweet spot and um, who is their target client. So it's not the entire universe of clients, but zeroing in on a particular target where they think that they can be most successful and that and then the communications can follow. Um, you know, I always tell people, uh, you know, the guy that does my hair would like me to do his website and his collateral and, and I could, right. But should I do it? Um, does that not take me off track from the regular line of business that I'm in? So I think that's what happens with many RIAs also is, um, multifamily offices, they see someone else's website and they want to copy it or it looks good to them and they forget that they really need to do something that's unique to them and put that forth to clients. Um, another, just one more point I was going to bring up there also that is really helpful for firms to think about are case studies. And I know everyone's thinking, I can't use a case study, I can't name clients. and. I'm not talking about naming clients. They can certainly be anonymized. That's not the point here. The point is that you want to show how you took a client pain point, took a problem, and fixed it. And that, I think... It's that thought process. Yes. That is super... And, and your whole process, right? That's really effective in showing prospective clients, whether they're B2B or B2C, um, what you can do. Looking at client target market segments as is just the segmentation is super highly focused right and and i think mm-hmm. there's this you know push and pull against you know we want to look at the entire market and and, and everyone you know you know, even some of the things that you've talked about lately, the size of the next generation of wealth transfer and other things that have come out, it's the, these big numbers. And I think people get attracted to that versus getting into a very specific market segment, as you mentioned, like that, it seems like it's much easier said than done. Yeah. So I think that, you know, for many people, they're afraid of going deep and having a real specialization for fear that there's not going to be enough business or that they're going to turn away business in other markets. But I think the opposite is actually true. You will attract uh, more people if you have a deeper specialty and communicate a very specific, you know, specialty or specialties that people can rely on um, you for or your firm, because it's difficult to serve all markets, all people, Right. And, and that seems like the field of dreams and that seems like a wrong promise. So I think it's better to sort of carve off those things that you do really well, communicate those using um, case studies and to really push that out to the market. And then that will return back. I, you know, I, I tell people, you know, many times also RIAs, family offices will say, well, we can't do marketing because we're not, you know, we don't want to be. Um, talking to the general market. And the truth is that you do want to talk to the general market because you never know when you're going to get a referral, who someone knows, who is a center of influence. And so, you know, just keeping yourself in, you know, sort of the um, the cul-de-sac of family office may not be a very good strategy. It's better to be more broad-based with your marketing and your um, visibility campaigns. Um, there are plenty of people out there that are going to notice you and it becomes almost a dog whistle. So, 
you know, if people aren't interested in family office services, they're not going to notice you. It doesn't mean that you're going to be bombarded with inbound from people who are not target clients. And you can also put what your minimums might be or the person, you know, uh, communicate what who is a very good fit for your firm. And that will, you know, cut down on the inbounds, but it'll also increase the quality of your inbounds so that people have a better idea of exactly who you serve and what you do best. So I think people should not be afraid of communicating that. Speaking of communication, I think we've come a long way from Yahoo tools and all these other elements to the, yeah. a number of channels that people can communicate in. What are some of the ones that are coming over the horizon that you're seeing innovative firms and innovative individuals use to, to communicate uh, both internally and externally? So I think, you know, um, LinkedIn is just to go back to what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, people generally ask me, I mean, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook are going to be number one, two, and three on SEO. So if you're looking to put out messages on those channels, you want to think about that. You want to have a robust profile on all of those channels as well. LinkedIn is still number one. I think for B2B contact, B2B engagement, B2B communication, Twitter is great as a news feed and for reaching um, maybe a younger audience, VCs, um, you know, some entrepreneurial startups. And there's certainly, you know, a a large number of people who are using Twitter. Now, is that going to be the place where you're going to find your financial advisor? Probably not. But it is still a distribution channel that you can put out thought leadership and everything counts. Um, you know, a, a lot of times now I'm asked about TikTok. I think TikTok is really a reasonable channel as well. Um, you can get a lot of engagement. Um, it's not as silly as what people might think. And um, I'm not saying that you should put out investment advice on TikTok, but certainly your brand can go on TikTok. You can create some informative videos. Um, and that might encourage younger investors um, and show a different side. Similarly with Instagram, um, Instagram, highly visual medium. So you want to make sure that you have enough content that you can put stuff out there. So that would be more infographics, data visualization, you know, how to put up trends or other things that might, um, again, promote individual thought leadership or firm brand thought leadership. One of the areas that you also mention is your rule of seven. Can you give us a little bit of uh, background on, on that? Sure. So in marketing, there's what's called a rule of sevens, meaning that um, consumers need to see a brand seven times before it resonates with them. And that's a lot, right? If you think about it, um, seeing a brand seven times means that you need to have a lot of in, um, visibility and you need to have a lot of campaigns and it needs to be integrated and omni-channel because you never know where someone's going to find you or see something that you've put out. So um, when people ask me what is the best channel or um, you know, where they should focus. The truth is you really need to be everywhere all the time so that it reinforces and validates your brand. And people know that they've seen it in, so, you know, in many different places, because again, seven times is quite a lot. How do you wrap your head around all the different ways, you know, whether you're a single family office uh, looking in that fashion or in a, a multifamily office RAA, it, it seems like a daunting challenge for just a any anyone's internal marketing team so it is i mean the internal marketing team that um you know can sometimes be um overtasked or has competing priorities from other 
uh, things that are going on. So using outside firms and using experts um, such as my firm or other firms out there is is a really good way to do it um, because we're bringing a purview of what's happening in the marketplace and expertise in terms of what's worked for others. And so I think that strategy, right, is an important one, just as multifamily offices and single family offices use outside advisors in investments and in legal and in um, accounting and other areas. It's important if you really want to grow your business to think about using trusted advisors and marketing as well. So let's shift gears and talk about single family offices, I think, and, and, and marketing. And I think this is an area that is not very well discussed or explored for a couple of reasons, you know, there's a natural tendency for single family offices to not want to have any kind of uh, public face or very limited uh, as part of it. What have you seen uh, around this in terms of families, single family offices that you've worked with? What's the what's the reasoning behind doing something like this or not doing something? Uh, like this publicly? So um, a great question and one whose time has come. So in the 14 years since I've been uh, running my business, quite a lot has changed. For the most part, single family offices have had this mindset where they want to be below the radar and um, many times for good reason. Um, they don't want their family exposed to um, different sorts of threats. But the truth is that the best way to control your message is to put your own message out there. And so many more single family offices are creating their own websites, putting out their own thought leadership because they do want to be recognized for their in direct deals or investment acumen or subject matter expertise and so on. And so putting out your own message and keeping those messages flowing according to the low law of sevens is really a great way for um, people to really control the way that the outside world thinks of them. And so um, this way, when you Google search, you know, for a family or a name, you're going to get the information that people want you to find rather than the information that may come through um, public channels like real estate deals or uh, real estate sales or, you know, other kinds of public records like marriage, divorce and so on. Uh, being mentioned in uh, newspaper or newspaper articles that you might not be aware of. Um, you know, I always advise people before they begin this exercise to do a thorough Google search and see what's out there on themselves so that they can control it and um, just continue to put out and use, you know, different strategies and tactics to create really a message scaffolding so that um, you're putting out many different kinds of messages about the investments or the passions could be on the philanthropies that your family's investing in um, or your single family office. It could be on the background of some of the principles for your single family office. There's never a shortage of information to put out there, but I want to just underscore the importance of putting your own information out so that you're controlling your message. As you're putting that information out, are there best practices to consider other than, you know, being very omnichannel, being thorough in terms of background, uh, investigation of what is already out there. 
Are there some things that you're seeing that single family offices are doing well, or maybe some things that you would recommend people don't do as they're looking at, at, uh, at this type of thing? So it's really nascent now, but I think that there is a desire from the next generation to really be proud and talk about themselves in a really personal way. So I think you almost can't go wrong when you're talking about your, your person, your people and your passions and so on. Um, of course, you don't want to reveal too much that it becomes too private and personal, but they're definitely, um, you know, just keeping that in balance and um, in mind as you're creating content. Um, you know, telling your family story can be really uh, interesting to other people too. How did, you know, how was your wealth passed? How, where was it created? What generation are you? Um, what are others in your family doing? You'll find that, you know, other families will glom onto that and become very inspired and you can stand out again by virtue of the way you're telling your own family story and uh, talking about your own interests. Well, April, uh, I wanted to ask you one question. If you had to look back in your career and knowing what you know today, what would you tell yourself 15 years ago when you got into this space? Keep going. So uh, I told you about, you know, having naysayers. And um, so I was, I'm glad that I didn't really listen to them. And um, it's been really rewarding to work in this space in uh, family office and with both individuals, families, and firms. Um, I'm a firm believer that private wealth can really change the world. And so just, you know, helping to do that sort of one firm or one family at a time. Perfect, April. Well, thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming uh, on today. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening in. April, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so? Um, you can find me, of course, on all social media channels um, or send me an email, april at therudengroup.com. Thanks. And if you'd like to get in touch with April uh, through us, you can uh, contact us through familyoffice at dentons.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, are so inclined, subscribe to the channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. As always, sharing this episode is greatly appreciated and probably the best way that you can show your support. Sign up for our new newsletters and, and learn about our solutions and research in the family office space. Check out our website. That is dentons.com forward slash family office. Well, that's it. Bye, everyone.